This is the Working Drummer Podcast, featuring conversations with ground-level pros from all styles and regions. Real drummers with real stories about making a living in music. Hey everyone, welcome to Working Drummer Podcast. I'm Zach Albetta, and this week I'm happy to welcome another legendary household name to the podcast, Mr. Will Kennedy. Will is best known for his many years of amazing work with Yellow Jackets, but has also performed with a long list of icons, including Herbie Hancock, Bobby McFerrin, and George Benson. In 2018, he joined the faculty at USC's Thornton School of Music, heading up the drum wing of the pop music program there created by the late, great Ndugu Chancellor. Yellow Jackets have just released their latest record, Parallel Motion, and are currently touring on the back of it. We would appreciate your support on Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash working drummer and a donation in any amount gets you access to exclusive content from our former guests. Think of this as professional development for drummers, all useful and actionable lessons for the working pro. We're populating new content regularly and as little as $1 a month gets you access to all of it. If Patreon isn't your thing, you can also make a one-time donation through PayPal. There are links for both on our homepage at workingdrummer.net. While you're there, you can learn more about this episode and check out our archive of over 300 episodes. Also, please subscribe to Working Drummer Podcast on your platform of choice. We're available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and YouTube. And be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Lastly, however you listen, please leave us a rating and review. This helps new listeners find us. Our Patreon content now features today's guest, Will Kennedy, discussing the creation of this song, which he composed for the new Yellow Jackets record. We've also got lots of other drummers on that Patreon series, including Ash Sohn and Eric Slick, talking about specific songs they've tracked drums for and all the technical and creative aspects of those recording processes. There's also a video by me illustrating my favorite warm-up routine, which I've found to be really useful and effective over the years. You can get access to this and the rest of our Patreon content for as little as $1 a month. So check that out. We'd really appreciate your support. Again, that's patreon.com slash working drummer. So I had never met or talked with Will before, but just watching him play and seeing pictures of him, I got the impression that he goes through life with just a positive, generous spirit. And I was absolutely right. So let's get right to it. Here's Will Kennedy. We started earlier in the year uh, in Europe and um, hit a bunch of countries, uh, some of the Scandinavian countries and a little bit of uh, Germany. And, uh, and then we uh, got home uh, and a few days kicked in uh, for us. Um, and it's been an interesting extravaganza this particular time because um, we recorded this new uh, recording uh, parallel motion uh, in like November, December of last year. And, you know, now it's getting ready to come out and it's like, okay, well, we have to remember these songs. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and what better time than to work them up in a sound check and um, uh, even uh, try a few of them uh, in the performance. And that's what we've been doing. And that, that's really been adventurous and, and fun. Cool, cool. The, uh, the, the kind of obvious question that I've been asking a lot of people is, uh, you know, did how how did the pandemic sort of cause you to uh, reevaluate or reprioritize certain things in your life or certain things in your playing? And you know, with with you, I obviously want to hear about that, but I'd also like to hear um, how that affected Yellow Jackets as as a band. If if uh, you know Yellow Jackets after COVID is is a different animal somewhat from Yellow Jackets before COVID. Uh, I think in in some ways the saga kind of continues with us, um, but we did shut down. Uh, we didn't play. We didn't go out and, and do performances, probably like a, a lot of other bands. Um, 
but yeah, we, we shut down for a, a good year and a half, two years. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I guess the, the creative juices uh, continue to flow just in terms of we knew we were obligated to uh, record um, uh, a new uh, recording for Mac Avenue. And um, so we kind of uh, had an opportunity to, to and some space to kind of clear our heads and, and figure out what sort of uh, musical statements we wanted to make this go around. And um, yeah, Parallel Motion. Uh, we're really excited about it and and we feel uh, it's a product we could be proud of and, and add to the legacy of the band. Um, um, I happen to be uh, teaching um, at the University of Southern California. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been there for four and a half years now and um, that uh, was very much a part of my COVID experience uh, teaching from home. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Doing this very thing on the screen. <laughs> yeah. And uh, how many of us got the Zoom burnout? Um, Dude. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> so it was it was really difficult to kind of um, rebuild uh, my teaching approach uh, via Zoom, and uh, yet. Um, it, it was it, it was a creative process uh, finding a way to to get that particular uh, drumming or musical point across uh, through the screen and um, yeah I would imagine you know a, a lot of us are in the same boat uh, rebuilding and rebooting and yeah. finding ways to get it done yeah I, I've uh, I've interviewed your colleague Peter Erskine a, a number of times and and uh-huh. one time was like in the thick of COVID and. He was having the time of his life just <laughs> geeking out on all the tech that he got to now, like, employ in his <laughs> studio. He gave us, like, a virtual, you know, uh, audio tour of, of mission control. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Peter did take it to another level for sure. Uh, I've, I've seen that that uh, audio control uh, yeah. in person, and yeah, it's 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 quite the spaceship. Could, couldn't wait, <laughs> couldn't wait to show it to you, could he? <laughs> oh, God bless him. Uh, I love that guy. Um, so I want to I want to go back to to your your roots in the Bay Area um, because I love hearing about where. Not not just where people are from in terms of like, you know, their upbringing or whatever, but how, you know, the DNA of that music scene kind of shaped you as a musician. Um, talk about that a little bit. Um, Sly and a Family Stone. Yeah. Uh, Confunction. Um, uh, the Bill Bell system. That's some, someone you probably haven't heard of, but uh, very much a big part of my life. Mm-hmm. Uh uh, the Ray Obiedo band, uh, Frank Martin band, uh, Joaquin Lievano, a fantastic guitar player, um, <laughs> Graham Central Station. I'm just spitting out these names because uh, these were musicians I had contact with coming up in the Bay Area. Mm-hmm. And um, the Bay Area was very much uh, an incredible uh, music scene uh, for gigs, uh, for education. Uh, and for recording, uh, my composition life was born there. Uh, and I um, was just really blessed and fortunate to be exposed uh, exposed to the um, musicians I had contact with. And they really just beat me up and showed <laughs> me the way. Yeah. <laughs> um, one important musician that, that uh, really had... Uh, huge impact uh, on my life was my older brother hmm. uh, is my older brother. He's still with us. Uh, his name is Herschel Kennedy and Herschel um, um, plays keyboards and had an opportunity to play in the great R and B funk band of past uh, Graham central station. Mm-hmm. Um, that was Larry Graham's band and Larry Graham was the original bassist for Sly and the Family Stone. Mm-hmm. So um, some serious royalty there, funk, funk royalty and lineage going on there. Um, and I was just, I don't know, at the peak of Graham Central Station, I may have been like 12 or 13, mm-hmm. wishing I could be in the band uh, and having my father telling me to just go chill and sit down. <laughs> <laughs> 
um, but the drummer for Graham Central Station was um, uh, the original drummer, Willie Sparks, hmm. Willie Wild Sparks. And <laughs> Willie, uh, Willie pioneered a couple of things really quickly. Um, he, he, in my view, he pioneered this, this, um, this touch, this this type of velocity that was powerful but not incredibly loud, mm-hmm. um, and uh, it's a big part of my approach to playing today. We could get into that uh, perhaps later in the in the talk, but uh, that was one thing. The other thing Willie pioneered was um, he was one of the first drummers that had uh, power toms. He had these really extended long rack toms he yeah. had custom made oh, man. and <laughs> and this is like you know this is early 70s wow. and so if you can imagine you know people just like or drummers just like going what what the heck is he doing with floor toms on <laughs> <laughs> and it literally looked like little floor toms mounted on the bass drum wow. and um there was this, this character and quality of sound that um that Willie had that was really inspiring and really kind of planted the seed in me. Um, another great musician uh, that spent a lot of time in the Bay Area uh, that uh, has blown uh, several minds, including mine, uh, is uh, the great Tony Williams. Mm, yeah. um, and uh, I had a chance to cross paths with him, uh, not as much as I wanted. Right. Yeah. <laughs> if I could, I would have moved in to his house. But <laughs> so did he? Did he live there for a while? He did. Okay. Because yes, I know yes. he's from Boston, right? Oh, most definitely. Right. Yeah, okay. Yeah, but yeah. I didn't realize he lived in the Bay Area. The latter part of his life was definitely Bay Area oriented. Got it. And uh, and even uh, his closing chapter, his funeral, uh, was in San Francisco. Hmm. Um, so um, Tony and and Willie Sparks had that same sort of character of sound uh, that 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 velocity. Uh, yeah. The velocity range was just enormous, and you could be at a whisper, and and at full volume uh, in no time. And there's so many, um, there's so many uh, qualities that are the result of that. Um, the, your stick control, your being conscious of it, and, and even your foot uh, control also mm-hmm. is very much important to be able to, to be able to, to deliver that velocity or not. Right, um, right. It's so and, interesting about Tony's playing because he, on, on the one hand, was just so free and, and so sort of effortless about everything he did. But on, on the other, there was so much intent behind ooh. all of it. Yeah. Yeah. You're preaching. You're preaching right now. <laughs> That's why I have a podcast. So I... <laughs> Um, but that's interesting. So like it, uh, uh, like Willie Sparks seems like, uh, just a very like pocket based drummer. And then along, so that's in your head. And then along comes Tony with with all his Toniness and, and I mean, it might be an oversimplification, but like you're, you're kind of the product of those two things. Good way to sum it up. Yes. (laughs) Uh, and combine that with. Uh, my schooling in the Bay Area uh, and eventually uh, starting to play gigs in some of the popular clubs in the Bay and, and coming into contact with all the really wonderful talent uh, in the area. Um, and eventually uh, finding a career, realizing that that music is a, is a, a business and a career. I can, I can write songs, I can... I can earn a living uh, and, you know, eventually, you know, have a life as a musician contributing to uh, our craft um, uh, and all the things that go with that. Um, Yeah. So, yeah. Oak Town, San Francisco, (laughs) the Bay, uh, my love and and heart for sure. Yeah. So at what point, like, was, was there a point during your early years in the Bay Area that, like, you're, you know, you're doing this gig, you're doing that gig, it's, it's kind of all over the place. Was there a point at which you kind of had to narrow your focus or, like, pick a lane? Um, in, did, did your opportunity with Yellow Jackets represent that sort of narrowing and saying, okay, this is what I'm going to do and what I'm going to refine? Yeah, um, one of the, uh, 
one of the gigs that really kind of put me on the map uh, and and was based in the Bay Area was my time with Andy Norell. That's right. I was going to ask you about him because I <laughs> I just interviewed recently uh, Joy Laps, who is oh. do you know her? I don't know her. She's a fantastic steel pan artist. She is the wife of Larnell Lewis. Um, oh. And they live in Toronto. Oh, um, I knew I'd heard the name before, but I had no idea she played uh, steel drum. Right. <laughs> yeah. So like she she like composes like all these jazz fusiony kind of like amazing compositions. And she Andy Norell was like one of her mentors. Um, Whoa. So yeah, I wanted Whoa. to ask you about Andy and just like go back into steel pan world for a minute. Yeah. Like what was yeah. what was playing with him like? Oh, that was that was an incredible experience because um, as we you know we're just talking about Tony Williams and being able to express yourself in in this freedom and in this whatever jazz fusion sort of go for it and chops and licks and things. Uh, Andy's gig was the opposite. I had to find uh, my funk self again um, and incorporate that in this more kind of Caribbean. Uh, I, um, got what was the, before smooth jazz was um, quiet storm, I guess you could you could call it, huh. <laughs> <laughs> but a very simplified form. Really quickly, the funny story was the original uh, percussionist and drummer in Andy's band uh, was a, a wonderful musician named Kenneth Nash, hmm. and uh, Kenneth was literally playing drum kit and percussion uh, on the gig. And um, I'm not sure exactly how it happened, but um, I had done a session or two with Andy uh, on for some other projects, and he had the idea of bringing me into the band and let Kenneth move strictly to percussion, and, and I could hold down the drum kit. And um, the amount of freedom that Kenneth originally had playing all things percussion in the band was a lot of musical real estate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So when I came in, it was like, oh, okay, you're going to do all that, and <laughs> I, will, <laughs> I will just be here holding it in. And um, that, that kind of, as you said, reeled me in a bit, and uh, it, it's a good example or, or description of how you find your lane uh, in this musical uh, opportunity and and you work it and and develop within that um, with within those boundaries. Right. And you know, I got I got a solo and I was able to express myself. But from where I had come from, where I was the I guess lead percussionist, uh, here I am, kind of in a secondary chair where my job is just to be the ground. And that is so much of what I talk about um, when I have a student in front of me, um, because in order for you to have that freedom of expression and and playing with time and and all the other things that go with that, you gotta you have to know how to be the earth for your for your musical opportunity. And yeah, I I could talk about that for two hours. Man, <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> Um, but it, so it, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was interesting what how you were sort of presenting this because, like, in a in a band like Yellow Jackets, I mean, or you know, kind of any you, you think of any drummer in any fusion group, like Weckl with Korea, or you know, something like that. Like it, it seems like you have a really wide lane to do kind of whatever you want, like on the drums. Uh -huh. But this this foundation that you had with Andy. Um, makes me realize that like if you're if you're gonna play the role of drummer and percussionist on the drum set, you've you've got to be careful about when you abandon the drummer role to do the bells and whistles role. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And if you have someone that is already doing the bells and whistles, <laughs> right, then, right? Then you strategically you have to really strategically get your point in and get out the way. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Surgical strike. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So with my funk background, which happened, you know, before Andy, uh, I was able to to, uh, I guess, provide what was necessary. Um, and yeah, thank goodness. Uh, Andy had that vision. Uh, and um, 
kind of helped pull that uh, sort of thing out of me. Uh, and it, it uh, you know, I, it, it wasn't difficult, um, but it was just challenging to realize that, oh, there's another person here that is really, you know, doing the ear candy and, and percussion, you know, lead percussionist. So um, I just had never been in that situation before. And that, that was really, really interesting. When I hear you play with Yellow Jackets, um, I was wondering if what I'm hearing was the result of of sort of uh, like we were talking about a narrowing down of your role on the drum set because I think like you're you're more restrained on the drums in Yellow Jackets than Tony was with almost anything. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but, okay. <laughs> but uh, from from my perspective, but so uh, I I think what I'm hearing is is the result of you like being in this very specific box with Andy and then sort of being given a little more room to expand more in the Tony direction with yellow jackets rather than having to like narrow yourself down. You're kind of expanding to to fill this bigger space you're given. Amen. Amen. And there there are um I don't know, the Andy my Andy Norell experience was over um wow over 25 years ago so um yeah i guess even to this day and our new recording would be a great example of of the yellow jacket so let's let's talk about my my role or or my perspective uh with what i contribute to yellow jackets mm-hmm. i i contribute all those things we've discussed um um, I bring my my funk background. I bring my fusion, whatever Tony Williams uh, love pack background. I bring my Caribbean <laughs> simplified ground approach yeah. to Yellow Jackets and the compositions that we write uh, for Yellow Jackets. We we look to number one provide um, memorable melodies, uh, singable melodies mm-hmm. uh, that aren't necessarily simple, but but are just um, I, I don't know singable or, or melodic melodies, a melodic melody. Yeah, double. Yeah, yeah. So no. th- and that combined with some unique character of of rhythmic information underneath it. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, there's probably some um, uh, could be some odd meter in there. It could be uh, some some world uh, expression of some sort, something from Africa, something from Brazil, uh, uh, something Peruvian. Um, and, and we're we're open to all of that. So that's kind of that's kind of a, a nutshell description of how we write songs. We like melodies that are memorable and, and singable. Uh, not every song, of course, but 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 we are also inspired uh, by rhythms of the world, uh, uh, the traditions of of what you'd find in jazz. Uh, 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 jazz standards are very much a part of what we teach uh, at, at the university, and and very much inspired and, and a part of our our music. So all of those things combined really is kind of the sound of yellow jackets yeah and you mentioned like memorable melodies um which i i think is something that's often missing from jazz and fusion um and i think what the the yellow jackets managed to present really sophisticated and in some cases complex music whether it's melodically or rhythmically or whatever but it's presented in such a way that you don't have to know what it is to enjoy it like 
<laughs> you hear, yeah. Because you, you hear some, I think fusion especially, you hear some fusion and like, especially as drummers or as a musician, like your musician's brain goes to like, okay, what the fuck is this time signature? I have to, you know, <laughs> um, because I have to understand it in order to enjoy it. Like it's presented yeah. in such a sort of complex but obtuse way that you're like, okay, if I'm going to continue listening to this, I have to know what it is. Otherwise... <laughs> Otherwise, it's just going to piss me off. Um, Sound like a drummer's curse to me. <laughs> it is. It is, man. Um, but uh, but yeah, listening to Yellow Jacket stuff, whether it's old or new, um, you know, there's there's a lot of stuff that's like in for. It's not an odd meter, but the way it's presented is just sort of like left-handed or off kilter or something. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So I like, I, I just want to sort of uh, uh, express my appreciation for your entire approach because, <laughs> you know, it checks, it checks both the boxes of uh, wanting to, you know, say something substantive, but also make it accessible. Um, yeah. Which is a yeah, conversation yeah. I've had so much on this podcast and elsewhere about jazz, especially because my, you know, my background is in jazz. My whole twenties were spent in Kansas City, playing nothing but jazz. Um, Amen. And and what you're talking about, you know, a memorable melody, a sort of a hooky rhythm, um, is you know the entire approach of my grad school mentor Bobby Watson. Uh huh. Uh huh. Um, so I'm I'm always on the lookout for jazz and fusion that kind of puts those things that accessibility before their their jazz fusion ego, you know. <laughs> Amen. 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 I feel you. I feel you. Yeah. And and of course we don't draw a line for ourselves. The creativity flows as we go. Mm-hmm. Uh however it is an established uh sound and approach that is the band. And but we're not silly about it. We're not saying, wait, that's too complicated or, ooh, that's the Grammy right there. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, we're letting the creative juices flow, but within our uh, established band sound that um, we're really just uh, excited about. Um, and I, I just got to plug my guys for a second. Here. Yeah. Found, founding member. Uh, uh, been in the band since day one. Hasn't missed a gig. Wow. <laughs> Russell Ferrante. Yeah. Over Over 41 years now. Uh, band started in 1971. That's, or, I'm sorry, 1978. That's and nuts. That's yeah. 43 years. That's like <laughs> almost 44. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm about to turn 42. Yeah, okay. <laughs> like, okay, there you go. There yellow you go. jackets are older than me. <laughs> That's nuts. And Russell's never missed a gig. Has Bob ever missed a gig? Bob has not been in the band from the, from the beginning. Oh, right. So. Okay. Yeah. So that doesn't. Yeah. But Russell, there's Bob, never been a Yellow Jackets gig without Russell, nor yeah. should there be. <laughs> <laughs> Bob came in about uh, 2000 uh, with the Greenhouse recording. And um, he's been in ever since. I have kind of an awkward story. I came in before Bob. At around uh, 1986, uh, yet I had a 10-year hiatus uh, from the band. I, I actually thought I was done. I thought I had quit forever. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, after that 10 years, um, uh, I made my way back. Um, the wonderful uh, Marcus Baylor uh, played drums uh, for most of that time. I saw the Yellow Jackets uh, during that period when, uh-huh, when Marcus uh-huh. was with them, when I lived in Kansas uh-huh. City. Oh yeah! Oh yeah! Cool. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, what what led to your hiatus? Were, were you just completely sick of Russell's positive attitude all the time? <laughs> <laughs> uh, it just it just seems like things had added up to to me needing to do something else. Uh, I I had done I don't know whatever eleven twelve years at that point and. Um, my wife and I were getting ready to have a child, um, and I wanted to be home. I wanted to be home to raise my kid. Yeah. And it's not that we were gone all the time, but that was a big point um, uh, that I was thinking about. Um, and I had an opportunity to do, to do some other things. I, I did television. Uh, I did a daytime talk show. I did a couple of them, actually. Uh, the Martin Short uh, Show, which was a short-lived daytime talk show right and the wayne brady show right i, did. I remember that 
And it was it was just awesome uh, driving into Hollywood every day and playing drums all afternoon and, and then coming home. Yeah. <laughs> like a regular person. <laughs> I really, really thoroughly enjoyed that and uh, got a bit a bit more into the L.A. scene, uh, did a few movie soundtracks and and uh, recording sessions and. And uh, yeah, t- ten years later, uh, Marcus had to do something else in Yellow Jackets or from Yellow Jackets, and um, got a call and said, "So, what are you doing?" <laughs> <laughs> You're like, "I'm sitting at home, not on an airplane. What are you doing?" <laughs> um, so th- this touches on something I-, I wanted to ask you about, which is like. I think at at this point in the minds of most people and I think in the minds of of most drummers especially your your legacy is going to be attached to Yellow Jackets like you're going to be remembered as Yellow Jackets drummer I think and even though you've done plenty of other stuff um I think you're you're most associated with that band you'll be remembered with that band was there a point when you sort of had to choose that, did you ever think about it that way? Like when you returned to Yellow Jackets or, or even now, you know, so many years later, having done it solidly, um, was there ever a point where that crossed your mind where like, like, yeah, I'm going to be remembered as Yellow Jackets drummer and, and I'm good with that. Um, and there's no negative connotation with that. Um, to me, that's totally positive. Yes, uh, because, me, me too. Me too. But yeah. I, I asked <laughs> I ask that because, you know, as musicians, we're always looking around and we're always saying, like, what else can I do? How can I widen yeah. my lane? How can I, you know, do I want to be remembered yeah. as Vinnie Caliuta or Dennis Chambers who just played with everybody ever yeah. all the time? Yeah, um, yeah, instead yeah, of being yeah. attached to, you know, a band and a brand like the Yellow Jackets. Amen. Amen. Um I can remember back to my first Modern Drummer interview where I talked so much about that solo project that never came out. (laughs) 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 And I'm thinking about all those uh, song ideas, unfinished and finished, that are sitting in my computer, uh, older computers and the present computer. (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, And I I think uh, at... At 62 years old uh, this year, um, there are some uh, contributions that um, uh, that are going to be delivered uh, before I'm gone. And Good. though Yellow Jackets, Yellow Jackets will be the the primary um, link uh, or or connection or the big part of my legacy. Uh, there's there's quite a few other things kind of brewing uh, about that. Um, We'll have my name associated with it. Good. I mean, to the extent that you can talk about them, I, you know, not about what the specific project is, but at this stage in your career, like, what do you still want to accomplish? Like, what horizons are you looking at and saying, like, I still, I still want to get over there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'd, I'd have to say that that um, that solo recording, that Will Kennedy project, that is solely. Um, my brainchild, or or the child <clears throat> of the community of community of musicians, I would put together outside of Yellow Jackets. Mm-hmm. Um, I that that statement needs to be made, and it's something that um, I would tell uh, any student or professional in front of me. Um, there's something unique and special about what you do, and or even how you write or compose, um, and um, the world, the world, the ears of the world need to hear that. Mm-hmm. And people have preached that to me uh, for a number of years, and and I'm listening, and mm-hmm. and I desire to do it. Um, it just hasn't happened yet, but I, I feel closer and closer to a launch of something like that, uh, more so right now uh, than ever. <clears throat> yeah, that's that's awesome. And man, hats off to you for continuing to pursue it. Um, I, a, a few years ago, one, one of my Mount Rushmore drummers is Bill Stewart and I got to interview Woo! him. Yeah, right. <laughs> I got to interview him a few years ago and I asked him a similar question. Like, you know, what, what is still on the horizon for you? And, and he was just like, I mean, n- nothing. I really like all the people I play with. I really have a great time doing it. And like, I'm, I'm good. 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Isn't that that's that's great that you can be there? Yeah, that's awesome that you could be there. I had never really yeah. considered that before he said that because you know I we're we're programmed to just always be like you know pushing, expanding. What's next? Yeah. Like get yeah. get yeah, better yeah. at something. And and Bill was like, I'm I'm pretty content. I'm good. Like. I, <laughs> <laughs> You know, I would also add to my situation, now that I've been teaching um, for this number of years and leading a curriculum at at, uh, USC, um, I also now desire to to box up my curriculum and and my approach to teaching and pass that forward. Yeah, Um, yeah. Because that's as unique, that's as unique as anything I would write or or you know, compose. Um, right. So I want to talk to you about that. Like what uh, okay. your, your whole teaching approach and your curriculum at USC, because you, you replaced the late great Ndugu chancellor at uh, USC in that program. And you're in, if, if I'm understanding correctly, you're in the popular music program, not the yeah. jazz program. Yeah. So talk a little bit about what Ndugu created there and, and how you're carrying it on. Yes. Uh, Ndugu and myself uh, are under the leader, e- leadership of Patrice Russian. Um, and um, over 10 years ago, this pop division or pop department was created. And the, the thought process behind it was to run students through these various eras of, of pop music and have them recreate uh, some of these recordings and the the epiphany the 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 result of of your experience of trying to get uh, a Motown song or Earth Wind and Fire um, uh, uh, confunction um, uh, the the Bee Gees the <laughs> <laughs> Beach Boys yeah, you know yeah under understanding what it takes to to reproduce that music and present it in performance what you have to go through musically personally spiritually physically just changes you yeah <clears throat> and it's the same idea for me the analogy for me is. Uh, in, in the, we were talking about my background in the Bay Area. At one point in the Bay Area, I was I was the go-to funk drummer, and I considered myself Will Kennedy, <laughs> <laughs> right. funk drummer. Right. Right? <laughs> until someone until someone showed me, you know, Bayonne and samba and uh, you know songo, yep. you know, and it's like wow. The, how they are so interrelated, you know, the the some of the exotic rhythms and 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 funk music. Yeah. Funk music is derived from it to a certain extent, right. and and so anyway, that analogy combined with you know as a a, a, a up and coming student uh, in school now, the chances uh, of you learning, you know, some of the standards of funk, you know, and yeah. what that does for you. Uh, it's a similar process as well with with jazz standards. What better idea if you're going to call yourself a jazz musician? What better idea than to to go back into the history of jazz and learn the standards, <laughs> right, right, <laughs> and learn the vocabulary and um, and make that a part of your system and a part of the way you play. Mm-hmm. And it's just a joyous experience to see the students experience that and and what it how it affects them and 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 uh, when they cross that stage um with getting the diploma um with with that sort of experience and you know that's that's really kind of a nutshell uh or kind of quick story of of what they're going through uh of course they do private instruction with me uh the kids in the pop department but they're also learning how to uh, put songs, uh, compositions together, how to write songs, how to produce songs. Yeah, it's um, huge. It's huge. Oh, Erskine mentioned that like over COVID, he was like having all his students record their shit at home and yeah. just made yeah. that part of his program because yes. you, you yes. almost can't not anymore. Like, <laughs> right? Like if you don't have would, a little bit of chops with that. A little bit. Like... <laughs> It's yeah. just silly. Yeah, and a little bit goes a long way. 
Yes. Yes. Exactly. So if I'm if I'm an incoming student into USC, do I have to choose either like this this pop route or the jazz route, or do all students kind of make their way to to both before they graduate? It's preferably to have one or the other. There are there are some who have done the double major and tried to do the jazz program along with the pop program, and it's challenging. It's just not enough time in the in the day mm-hmm. to pull off all that information. Um, so it's preferable for it to be one or the other. It's an interesting. Um, uh, yeah, I can't imagine trying to do. <laughs> trying to do both at the same time, like having Erskine kick my ass one day and then having you kick my ass the next day uh, <laughs> and end up in the fetal position. Um, but like, you know, I think jazz programs um, are all about, uh, you know, helping like bringing students through the history and teaching them the vocabulary and all that. But, but beyond that, helping students like develop their own voice and their own creativity and expanding into that. Whereas the, the pop program is more like hit this target. Um, and man, I, I, I can't say which one I would value over the other. Um, but, uh, in addition to hit this target, in addition to discover your voice, uh, after the fact, okay, after you've accomplished, uh, uh, I heard it through the grapevine yeah, <laughs> and you're playing it incredibly well. Okay. Now, so let's play, um, it, just as a side note, perhaps in a, in a private lesson with me, let's, let's play heard it through the grapevine in five. <laughs> <laughs> Right. right. And and or let's try this yellow jacket tune that's in seven, but sounds like it's in four, you know? Right. Right. <laughs> like, let's make it feel like Grapevine in seven. Yeah. Let's figure that yeah. out. Woo. <laughs> um, I want to go teach a class right now. Yeah, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I imagine this like uh, this like dead poet society scene where all your students are like asleep on their desks and you bust in like all right motherfuckers let's, <laughs> <laughs> pop quiz uh, can't exactly use that language though Zach sorry oh, not at USA. I, I think Erskine would beg to differ I've heard some <laughs> man I've I have interviewed more than a few of Erskine's students, and I, I can... <laughs> amen. Okay, amen. There it is. Trends among young drummers are you noticing? Well, we all know how uh, the education uh, or value of education has not really been recognized like it should be in the school systems these days around the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you can blame it on budgets, you can blame it on the suits or number crunchers, um, but music uh, really just gets the the second hand, uh, or if not, if not the third and fourth hand, right. uh, in terms of priority, uh, and students suffer in that regard. Um, things are a lot different, uh, and I, I know I'm older than you, but even you know, perhaps in the, your upbringing or your day uh, coming up in school, things are a lot different now. Yeah, <clears throat> totally. Uh, and there are those unique cases where a student. Um, uh, either from a family member or just the environment in their, in their household, uh, they get a hold of, um, you know, their gift and are able to just, you know, at a young age, just bring it. So uh, there are those unique cases. And, and I, those students come across uh, my roster and it's really inspiring to see them. Um, I'd say, and I don't want to talk bad about, um, an, an organization, but I, I am often challenged by this sort of, if I dare say it, school of rock uh, <laughs> mentality where apparently, and I, I've never really attended a class or, or a performance, but apparently 
um, some things are being left out and I'm finding myself having to, uh, uh, you know, do some correcting some like, like pull the symbols and toms down and let's just play hi hat kick and snare and talk about posture and right. stick control and breathing and, and rudiments and stuff like that. Um, which, you know, I would be doing rudiments anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, yes, there are some cases where, you know, you got to just, you know, get down to the, to the nuts and bolts of, of drumming. And, um, um, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. You would be much further along if, if perhaps some of that stuff was covered before you got to me, you know? Right. And, um, <clears throat> uh, so that's kind of, that's kind of, I guess the, the array of, of students that I get, those really talented, gifted ones that were exposed by that, whatever community or family member. And then those who were in a more, um, not as, um, whatever, uh, gift deliver, <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Gift delivering environment. So, um, that's kind of the two extremes I get. And I would imagine that in addition to, um, you know, the, the school of rock type environment that you, you mentioned, I would imagine that a lot of these kids, as far as the drums are concerned, have been raised on the internet. And yeah. all of the uh, distorted priorities that <laughs> the, the, the internet sort of places on, uh, <laughs> you know, yeah. what's important about any given thing, not just music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The cool thing is, and what's continued to grow in both of our lifetimes is uh, the resources that are available. I mean... It's just unbelievable yeah. that you could just open your computer and practically find about anything you you know are looking for. Mm-hmm. This is totally off the subject, but uh, I've been home uh, summer break and in between Yellow Jacket runs and had a situation at my house where there was a, a leaky pipe outside that was rusting and I, I just needed to take care of it. And I, I had enough skill not necessarily in plumbing, but in just, you know, screwing a pipe in yeah. <laughs> to just shut the water off and change that pipe, you know? Right. And man, YouTube had everything I needed. Yep. Yep. <laughs> we became, we became homeowners about five years ago and I haven't done anything major on the house, but yeah. I don't yeah. know where we would be without Home Depot and YouTube. You man. know what I'm saying? <laughs> Yeah. yeah. And so if you're looking for a five-stroke roll or if you even know to look for a five-stroke roll, there's tons of stuff. In it. it's not all of it is what you probably need to be looking at. Well, that was my point about like, there, <laughs> you know, there is just an endless amount of information and a lot of it is fucking wrong. Like a lot of it is terrible. So I would imagine that a lot of kids are coming to you with just a bunch of shit that they've gotten from the internet and you've got to be like, okay. I got to clean it out. Yeah. I got to clean it out. Right. You're right. You're right. I got to clean it out. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I guess, you know, it's, it's today. It's, it's the, the, the life we live as instructors and, uh, purveyors of, of the craft and, and we got to set them straight. (laughs) (laughs) Um, you, you mentioned, um, like the physical approach and the, and the rudiments and everything. Um, I want to ask you specifically about how you use rudiments and how you teach rudiments and what you think their base, like what, what do you think their base purpose is? Cause I have a, I have a theory about it, but I want to hear you. Okay. Rudiments for me for drumming is the alphabet, um, uh, if you want to have finesse, if you want to have control, if you want to have dynamics, you need to be controlling the sticks in a proper way. And it's the rudiments that will will help you, uh, sh- will sharpen those, those the tools mm-hmm. of your hands. Yeah. And we have an abundance of examples of players who obviously uh, had some sort of rudimental study and are applying it to the drum kit. And I talked about Tony Williams. Uh, and one of the one of the big things uh, for me uh, that I found to be so expressive and so dynamic from Tony was his 
ability to play the the single stroke role the way he did. Mm -hmm. And it was just, it was his ability to drop it in at a moment's notice and, and for it to be loud or, or soft, a snare drum or around the toms or, or combination of the three floor toms he had at, at a certain point in his career or a later part in his career and the way he utilized that. So, Bingo. That gave me uh, the idea for some single stroke uh, exercises. Um, and oddly enough, how important would it be to practice the single stroke role in time mm. with, with a metronome or, or with you keeping time with kick drum and hi-hat and practice crescendoing the single stroke role within time, decrescendo, uh, decrescendo the single stroke role, mm -hmm. um, playing a groove for uh, three bars, and in the fourth bar, do a single stroke roll for the five, for the whole bar. Boom, repeat that with a cymbal crash, right? That, that something simple and basic as that would would just sharpen so many things in you. It would it would hit you from so many different levels. Yeah. And man, it's just it's just one simple basic rudiment, right? Right. And and how to use it. Yeah. And so I, I love I love that idea of of using a rudiment to create a musical phrase, like letting the Woo! <laughs> letting the rudiment like inform your your motion and so i'm i'm very encouraged and and gratified to to hear your take on this because it's similar to mine like you you likened the rudiments to you know the alphabet of drumming i feel like it's it's the wax on wax off of drumming like it teaches <laughs> it teaches you motion right yeah and, yeah and whatever like whatever you want your motion to result in whether it's finesse or power or speed or volume or any like there is a rudiment for that and it's not that you're going to use that rudiment as content on the drum set you're going to use the motion that it yes. instills in you dude <laughs> uh, um how can how can i pay you <laughs> i got paypal i got venmo i got <laughs> oh that's uh, awesome that is so awesome and, and that's that's real right there and every drummer needs to have a handle on and a decent understanding of what that is yeah what you just said. thank you i i want to stick on the physical thing for a minute because i whenever i talk to i mean pretty much anybody i talk to but especially someone who's been in the game as long as you have um i'm curious about uh, what, if any, sort of physical challenges you have faced over the years as a result of drumming, whether it's injury or, or any of that, and, and how you've overcome it, and just sort of your general physical approach to still be doing it at 62. Yeah, Zach, I've been so blessed, man. I've been so blessed physically. Uh, early on, um, I had teachers tell me uh, about posture and stick control and and that that motion that you mentioned in in your rudiment study um if you are making it, it's a very primal and and physically brutal instrument but if you are making contact and being musical with the drums and making contact with the drums uh uh with your body and and not against your body right physically you got long life. So uh, an example of playing against your body would be sitting too low, uh, scrunching over. Uh, is that's the result of back pain? Yeah. Um, um, playing uh, perhaps with not a balance or an understanding of some finger technique, along with some wrist movement, along with some arm movement, having an understanding of all three of those things instead of just. <laughs> like death gripping it yeah yeah <laughs> that's that's your endurance and and your longevity right there that's the difference right there yeah um and of course those are two extremes but but i mean man finger control changed my life hmm. and and that's again that's another step back to tony williams in in order for me 
to mimic that single stroke role, that expressive dynamic single stroke role, I couldn't do it wrists only. I, I had to discover uh, a balance or uh, my a threshold, if you will, a moving threshold of finger technique and wrist movement to, mm-hmm. to get that, that Tony Williams-esque sounding a single stroke role. I know exactly what you're talking about. And I, I, I think about it the way singers have like a break in their voice, right? Like you can only go so high with your... Before you falsetto. Right, yes. right. Yes. Um, but unlike the voice, the, like there's, there's much more of a fluid partnership between yeah. all of these different muscle groups. And I think people get wrapped around the axle about you know, French grip versus German grip and <laughs> molar versus whatever else. And like, I, yeah. I feel like if you're doing it right, if you're doing it in a, in a way that is sustainable for your body, it doesn't really fit into any one category. Like you just kind of find a fluid, relaxed, I, I think there are principles that everybody should abide by in terms of posture yes. and all that. But yes, um, yes. But yeah, if, if you get, if you get too orthodox about any one thing, then you're, you're using like you're not using your whole body. Exactly, exactly. And man, uh, let's be real. The the stool, the, yeah. even the the drum stool is the worst sitting device ever <laughs> invented. <laughs> it's just there's no support at all. It's not so great. It's not great. You need to develop and of course, you know, we have, you know, uh formed uh, cushions now and and we have even backs that can be attached to the stool and that's helpful Um, but uh, your ability to be conscious or even unconscious about sitting straight Mm -hmm. (laughs) just having it be automatic this is the way I play and um, um, I I, in my uh, teaching studio um, I have two drum kits and it's there's one that I play and then there's one that students play and I tell them right off the bat look sit down but change whatever you need to change yeah. to make that kit you know form to your body mm-hmm. and uh, needless to say I have you know tall students and short students and and uh all different uh body forms long fingers shorter fingers and and uh, yeah Lower that cymbal stand. Uh, let's, you know, move those floor toms and, and position them in a way where you're playing with your body, not against it. Yeah, yeah. Do you have any sort of, uh, uh, like, physical regimens that you abide by every day in terms of exercise, diet? Because, like, I more and more, you know, especially after turning 40, I'm like, drumming is a full body sport, man. And <laughs> Like I, I always think of uh, there, Tom, uh, somebody told a story about Tom Brady about how Tom Brady said, uh, like every minute of his day, everything he puts in his body, everything he does to it, from diet to sleep to meditation to like it is designed so that his body will work as well as possible for as long as possible. Wow! And none of us are Tom Brady, you know. We yeah. don't we don't have that kind of burden on our on our bodies, but. <laughs> Guilty. <laughs> um, but like, do you do you think of it in terms of that? Like, are you eating something earlier in the day that you're like, this is going to help me play drums, or this is going to <laughs> prevent me from being my best? Yeah, I, I have a great extreme uh, example. Uh, I have a son that is turning 19 uh, very soon, and what he eats is just like, dude, really garbage. <laughs> Garbage, <laughs> and he's the, he's at this point he's the bionic man. I right, mean, he, right. He can he can take it in and and live his day or live through his day, and and it's just like wow. As, so as yeah, George as, said on Seinfeld, it's like feeding wood into a chipper. <laughs> <laughs> I received that. Yes. <laughs> But yes, at 62, uh, I'm I'm a lover of salad and quality <laughs> food. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because man, it, it's I I I've discovered uh, in my years that you know garbage in, garbage out. Yeah. And in order for me to to live a good life and be able to to uh, 
handle the challenges uh, physically and mentally. Uh, I need to have good fuel going in. Yep. So um, yep. uh, I'm, I'm no Tom Brady, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I'm conscious of uh, the quality of food I put in. One of the main changes I've made recently is like, I'm, I'm super into cooking and, and we generally eat pretty healthy, but um, yeah. I stopped drinking before gigs. Wow. And wow. it's it's not that I was getting hammered, but like you'd have a beer or a cocktail or something, right? You know, yeah. before your before your show and not doing that, like just not putting that burden on my system and just so that my body can worry about drumming without having to process alcohol. Like <laughs> It, and, you know, maybe it's just the fact that I'm over 40, but like, I've just noticed a huge difference in what I yeah. can, what I can expect of my body when, when I'm giving yeah, it, like Zach, you said, good fuel. That's awesome, man. I, Cause I'm a huge, uh, Don Julio fan. Man, dude. talk to me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> 1942 and also just Don Julio Añejo. Yeah. I can't believe I'm talking about it, but yeah, I feel like one right now. <laughs> What but, time is um, it? What yeah, time is it in it, LA? Is it? <laughs> <laughs> it's, dude. I'll tell you. It's five o'clock here. It is five o'clock here. So. You... <laughs> okay. As soon as we're done. Yeah. As soon as we're done. There you go. <laughs> but you're right, though. It doesn't work on the gig. It's just it's interference, and um, I I want my psyche to be on point, and mm-hmm. I want to be clear headed and and ready to. Uh, uh, experience every every level of of the musical uh, experience yeah. uh, when I'm in it. Yeah, and of course, you know, the, a night goes by where whatever, you know, I'll, I'll end up with a shot or a beer before I go on, but I don't make a habit of it. Right, it's not, right. It's not yeah. I interviewed an LA drummer named Frank Zumo um, about six months ago, and he's kind of like a thrash punk sort of dude. Um, and we were having this conversation about like drinking before a show. Um, yeah. and so many people make it part of their ritual, right? It's like, I'm, I'm full of adrenaline. I'm maybe I'm nervous. Like I want to take the edge off. Um, the edge off. Yeah. And he's, he said when he stopped doing that, he was like, during a show, it's like, this is amazing. Why would I want to take this edge off? Like, <laughs> like you said, just being like clear headed and having no interference. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Thank you so much for doing this. I had a great time talking with you. It was a, it was a real honor to talk with you. Awesome, awesome. The time went by so quickly. Uh, Thank you for the opportunity. It's really cool. Great to meet you, Zach. There you go. Will Kennedy. Great pleasure talking with him. Hope you dug that as much as I did. Check out the Yellow Jacket's new record, Parallel Motion, wherever you get music and be on the lookout for them on tour. Next week, Matt Krause will be talking with Adam Box of the Brothers Osborne. Hope you check that out. Until then, stay safe, stay sane, play pretty, and thanks for listening. Cheers. Thank you.